0: Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. I'm not a cop, are you? WKRP in Cincinnati.
1: Hey, fellow babies, it's Alan and Donna. It is Christmas Day. We're hanging out with family. Since we are off celebrating, we are running a rerun this week. We're doing a Christmas rerun. It's going to be Jennifer's home for Christmas. So while we're off for the week, we got everybody here and we decided we wanted to wish you all uh, some happy holidays. So, you guys ready? Here we go.
2: Merry Christmas! Happy New
1: Year! And thanks for supporting the WKRP cast. We'll talk to you next year. Bye-bye. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say...
2: Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area.
1: Are you awake? Whoa!
0: (laughs) Are you awake now?
2: But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? (laughs) Dear God, she's going to kill
3: us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair,
1: And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP.
3: So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm
2: a WKRP in Cincinnati.
1: Welcome back to another WKRP cast. Today we've got a fluffy Christmas card of an episode, so it's a little like watching the show in syndication. You never knew when you were going to hit the Christmas episode and we're doing ours in May. So Donna, what's today's episode?
3: We're talking about Jennifer's Home for Christmas. The air date is the 17th of December 1979, written by Dan Gunselman and Steve Marshall. Story editors Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarocky, executive story consultant Blake Hunter, and it was directed by Rod Daniel. Christmas is coming up, and everyone at the station is anxious to leave and start their holiday plans. Everyone except for Jennifer. Jennifer seems as if she has no holiday plans and is dismayed that the rest of the staff doesn't want to celebrate Christmas as a family. The gang joins together to give Jennifer a warm Christmas.
1: And you remember, this is our first week now that we've moved to 8 p.m. on Monday night. We don't have that mash lead-in anymore. And this is the last time a WKRP episode will be in the top 20 for pretty much the rest of the season. We get one more top 20 at the very end, but it's going to be a bleak spring.
3: Well, we start off in the studio where Johnny is at the mic. He looks like he's sleeping with his eyes kind of open as we hear Jingle Bell Rock by Brenda Lee playing out over the air. As the song is coming to an end, Johnny reaches up and pulls out earplugs from both of his ears.
0: Okay, babies, I don't get it either, but somebody out there likes it. (laughs)
1: So uh, we'll just keep shoveling through the seasonal syrup here for a few more days. Not too much time left of this good cheer and bad music. Jingle Bell Rock is an American Christmas song you probably know. It's just you don't know Brenda Lee's version of it. You probably know Bobby Helms from 1957.
2: Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Rock Jingle Bells swing and Jingle Bells ring and blowin' up bushels of fun Now the jingle hop has begun
3: Brenda Lee recorded a version, the one Johnny is playing, of Jingle Bell Rock in 1964.
1: She released it as a single with Santa Claus is Coming to Town on the flip side. These songs were on her album Merry Christmas from Brenda
3: Lee. Bobby Helms had a consistent hit with the song each Christmas season, from 1957 until 1962. Brenda Lee's version never charted. Johnny
1: goes into a commercial break, and his commercial is for shoes. This is a Christmas advertising joke. Common things that you buy all the time never get any love at Christmas. Sometimes advertisers will try to make their run-of-the-mill products into cool Christmas gifts. This is one of those attempts. Like socks, toothpaste, and underwear, shoes aren't getting any cooler because they've got a Christmas commercial on the radio.
3: Jennifer comes into the studio carrying a basket of Christmas decorations. She's making the rounds, setting out red taper candles wrapped in holly. She greets Johnny cheerfully, and she asks Johnny, Whatever happened to
4: joy to the world, a deste fidelis, so oh, ton and
3: bomb?
1: Visa, Master Charge, <laughs> Now, hold on a minute. What was that middle one?
3: Adeste Fidelis?
1: Yeah. Adeste Fidelis is O Come All Ye Faithful in Latin.
3: Johnny mentioned Master Charge in there with Visa and American Express. Master Charge was established in 1966 to compete with Bank AmeriCard, originally called the Interbank Card because it was made up of a bunch of smaller bank cards banding together.
1: In 1969, they were branded as Master Charge, the Interbank Card.
3: They would be called Master Charge until 1979 when they changed the name To MasterCard. The
1: name Master Charge was coined by the First National Bank of Louisville, Kentucky. We
3: see a Funkadelic poster behind Johnny's head on the wall. This was a promo for George Clinton's band... Parliament Funkadelic.
1: There is no way that we have time to get into George Clinton. The man deserves a podcast all (laughs) on his own. But you really need to go look up a little bit of history of George Clinton and Funkadelic if you're not sure.
3: We would like to mention that Tim Reed and Tom Dreesen, when they were performing as the comedy team of Tim and Tom opened for a Parliament Funkadelic concert in Detroit in the summer of 1971. It didn't go well. They almost got booed off the stage.
1: Johnny tells Jennifer he's going to be working 12 hours straight on Christmas Day. He complains he'll be listening to Little Drummer Boy over and over. Jennifer apologizes. Johnny tells her he volunteered because he's going to be alone anyway.
3: And that brings us to... The line of the episode...
1: You know how hard it is to find a two-pound turkey? No.
3: It's
1: hard. You just love the visual of the two-pound turkey. I do. And I love the fact that anytime you mention the word turkey anywhere near WKRP, people lose their minds because the turkeys away. I did want to mention I worked that shift that Johnny is talking about. Actually, all four years in high school, I was one of the part-timers who worked both Christmas and Thanksgiving. And usually they were really long. You'd get 10 or 12 hours because they couldn't find anybody else who wanted to work. And it was a really easy day. There were almost no commercials. On Christmas, we played holiday specials and then big blocks of sponsored holiday music. It'd be like, here's two hours of holiday music brought to you by Ace Hardware. And in Taylorville, we always ended Christmas Day by playing the audio track of the movie Holiday Inn. The whole thing, almost two hours... We had it on a real tape. I have no idea how legal that was, but we did it every year. The station owner loved that movie, and that's how we always ended the broadcast on Christmas Day. That's
3: a good movie.
1: Yeah, it's a good one, and it's got White Christmas in it.
3: Johnny asks Jennifer what her plans are. He's guessing that she has some fancy dinners and parties to go to, and she tells him no, nothing like that. Well, we do have the office Christmas party this afternoon to look forward to. That'll be fun. No, it
1: won't. <laughs> he turns up the volume, and we hear the end of the commercial, telling everyone how delighted and surprised your loved ones will be with the unexpected gift—shoes. A great Christmas idea.
3: You know, I—I I don't think uh, shoes for Christmas is such a bad idea. I'd yeah, like I like that.
1: Might be onto something there. Johnny introduces the next song. Okay, Xmas babies, here's a little tune that. For me, just kind of sums up
0: the spirit of Christmas past, present, and future.
3: <laughs> Jingle Bells by the Singing Dogs. The idea for the Singing Dogs came from Danish recording engineer Carl Weissman.
1: Weissman teamed up with Don Charles, who was a record producer working in Copenhagen, Denmark.
3: In 1955, Weissman used recordings of five dogs barking at different pitches. The dogs' names were Dolly, Pearl, Pussy, Caesar, and King. Now,
1: this was in the days before you could do all kinds of uh, auto-tuning and moving around the, the pitch. He had to find exact pitches on these dogs and splice <laughs> them together on a reel-to-reel tape. He arranged the pitches to create the single, "O oh, Susanna which would amazingly go to number 22 on the Hot 100 in December of 1955.
3: I would hate to have been number 23. On
1: that list. <laughs> we can't beat the singing dogs. We just cannot break through. Bill Haley is down below the singing dog.
3: They needed a flip side for the single. Charles created a medley of pat cake, three blind mice, and Jingle Bells. The breakout hit from the medley was Jingle Bells. In
1: 1971, RCA reissued just the Jingle Bells segment of the medley as its own single. It has become a perennial Christmas hit, and our cold open has gone to the dogs.
3: WKRP in Cincinnati Come back from commercial break and we are outside of the studio in the hallway. We've got some posters to discuss. To the right of the window where Carlson is hanging decorations, we see the word fresh over a group of guys on a poster. We're guessing this is a band name, but we couldn't find anything on a group called Fresh. If you know anything, get on the Facebook page and share, please.
1: We also noticed that all around the door at the end of the hallway are posters. They look like headshots or shots of individuals. They're just pictures that look like promo stills, but we could not figure out who they are. Again, if you know anything about these pictures, get on the Facebook page. Let us know. Jennifer
3: comes out of the studio to find Mr. Carlson on a left. Lap- at her, draping Christmas garland beside the window. As he swings the end of the garland in a circle, Carlson tells Jennifer that he bets she's wondering what he's doing. Decking the halls.
2: With balls of, of holly. holly.
3: <laughs> Your annual Christmas joke, funny as ever.
1: Oh, thank you. And I enjoy doing it. <laughs> Art is like the originator of the dad the joke. The dad joke. That's he what is. I was thinking. He's a thinking. dad joke guy.
3: So I'm wondering, why is he decorating on the day of the staff Christmas party? They're going to have the party, then everybody's going home. And he's just now putting up decorations?
1: Yeah, and nobody's going to be back in the station until after Christmas. So it seems a little weird. He just didn't get around to it till now, I guess.
3: Well, and then also Jennifer was placing those candles around. Yeah,
1: everybody's getting the station ready for the one day. So (laughs) Jennifer asks Art how he and Mrs. Carlson plan to spend Christmas Eve. It's probably not Art's favorite way to do it. With Mama. Oh. He explains every year they have dinner. Every year she sends me out for a tree. Every year I come back with the best one I can
2: find. <laughs> Every year she says to me, Arthur, you've let me down again.
1: <laughs> Which also seems a little late in the season to be finding a tree.
3: Christmas Eve, yeah. yeah. This
1: really sounds like a... Dickens novel. Who gets their tree on Christmas Eve? You're not going to find a good one. Although, we have heard of people that get their tree on Christmas Eve and then keep it up for the 12 days of Christmas. So it might be something like that.
3: Carlson asks Jennifer about her plans. Oh, nothing to compare with that. Carlson says that he bets she's got a honey of a tree Jennifer tells him that she didn't get a tree this year. Come on, what is Christmas
1: without a tree? Bailey comes down the hallway and seemingly in a foul mood as she passes Jennifer and Art. Art again swings the end of the garland. He's wanting to do that joke again. Hi, Bailey. Guess what I'm doing. Talking to Jennifer. Other than that, (laughs) Bailey, not amused. She walks right by him and heads into the bullpen.
3: Well, she's on a mission.
1: Yeah. In the bullpen, we've got a first. The Blondie Gold record has appeared above the bookshelf in the bullpen. This is the Blondie Gold record for the album Parallel Lines. That's the one that featured the song Heart of Glass.
3: The band Blondie credited WKRP with helping make the song a major U.S. hit. As a thank you, they sent over this gold record for parallel lines. Gold signifies sales of 500,000 copies.
1: This is the very first time we see it on air, but this is not the first episode where they shot with it on set. This episode was shot 37th in order. The episodes that shot just before this one are Family Affair and Less is Groupie.
3: You can also see the record in both of those episodes. By tracking shoot dates, the gold record seems to have shown up on set in the beginning of November 1979. The
1: engraved RIAA plaque says, Presented to the staff of WKRP. This framed album, the actual one that appeared on the set, was last seen on eBay in 2013. At that time, it sold for $511.
3: And if whoever bought that is ready to sell it, I think Alan's interested. Let us know. We might be interested. <laughs> Bailey is carrying a big bowl of punch. Okay, everybody, let's clear off those desks and set up for the party so we all can have a very good time and get the heck out of here. Andy enters the bullpen and gets Les' attention. Les is at the teletype machine reading the latest printout.
0: Listen, I want you to do a running story on your newscast about Santa and his slave being sighted on the way to Cincinnati.
3: Andy's smiling and excited about this idea. Oh, and he's also decked out in a Western-style shirt, fringe and all, with the top four buttons undone. And these jeans, I believe, are the tightest we've seen yet. He is on his way to Santa Fe, and he's dressed for it.
1: And his legs are asleep.
3: (laughs) So we see Andy holding a stack of albums, and the Elvis album, titled Elvis's Christmas album is on top.
1: That is a massive album. Elvis's Christmas album, which has also been reissued as It's Christmas Time, is the third studio album and the first Christmas album put out by Elvis Presley. It was released in 1957.
2: Christmas Christmas Christmas
3: Elvis's Christmas album was the first of two Christmas-themed albums Presley would record. The other, Elvis Sings the Wonderful World of Christmas was released in 1971. This
1: album, the one that Andy is holding, is one of the best-selling Christmas albums of all time in the United States, and it is the best-selling Christmas album worldwide.
3: Number two is either Kenny G's Miracles or Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas, depending on what list you reference.
1: A special mention, Mannheim Steamroller, the perennial purveyors of Christmas music, aren't number one but they do have three of the top ten Christmas albums in the world. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman.
3: Right hand. Palm and wrist.
1: This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. He's getting bigger injuries. There are more wraps around more fingers and more coverage. I don't know what's happening, but Les is getting hurt mm-hmm. worse. More
3: serious, yeah, yeah, it looks like it.
1: So Les asks Andy if he is serious about this Santa sighting report. And Andy says, yeah, he is. He tells Les it's cute and it always works. Cute? Cute. <laughs> Andy, news is not cute. Tracking Santa on Christmas really is nothing new. NORAD, the North American Aerospace Command, has been tracking Santa annually since 1955. You can follow the big red guys movements
3: each year at NORADSanta.org. Jennifer enters with her Christmas candle decorations, and she greets everyone with a smile and a cheery... Season's greetings, everyone! Andy asks Les... Why he can't just cooperate
1: Truth is a stern mistress, Travis Bailey slams down the phone She is still in a foul mood This
4: stinks I can't get a flight out of here I'm on standby Who do those airlines think they are?
2: Should have planned ahead, Bailey I made my reservations in
1: July. Nonstop service to Dayton. <laughs> this is a geography joke. It's a 54-minute drive from Cincinnati to Dayton.
3: If you don't have a car in 2021, you can do this trip for $18 on the bus. The trip time on a bus is one hour, 20 minutes. Or pay well over 100 bucks for a flight.
1: If you fly, your trip will last at least four hours with multiple stops. A flight from Cincinnati to Dayton could have layovers in places as far away as Washington, D.C. or Chicago. Now, maybe in 1979, there was a nonstop between Cincinnati and Dayton, but we definitely could not find one today.
3: Cincinnati and Dayton are so close together, Dayton is recommended as an alternate departure airport if you can't find a flight out of Cincinnati.
1: (laughs) So what they're saying is just drive over to Dayton, Les. Come on. (laughs) So Bailey says she needs to get to Chicago. However, she's not thrilled about seeing relatives who are only going to ask her if she's
3: engaged, (gasps) involved, (gasps) (laughs) pregnant. Herb tells Bailey he understands. He says all of Lucille's people blew in last night. He's not sure how many.
1: (laughs) And this was my honorable mention for line of the episode. There are
0: beds and cots and hungry, overweight relatives all over the place.
3: (laughs) That probably sounds like uh, Christmas at a lot of people's homes. Well, don't you and think? also
1: just the way Herb describes it and that deadpan whine of Herbs <laughs> is, it makes it so funny. So Jennifer asks, What's going on here? They're all with their families at Christmas. They should be happy. Took a shower with bald headed men this morning. <laughs> well,
3: that might be another honorable mention there for a line of the episode. It's got all I don't part know. of
1: that hungry, overweight relative's lines.
3: <laughs> Jennifer walks over to Andy and asks him where he's going for Christmas. Andy tells her he's leaving tonight for Santa Fe. He's looking forward to it. And Les says he can't wait to get home.
2: Christmas Eve, Mother and I gather by the fire. It's not a real fire. They make too much of a mess. But it looks real. Mother doesn't like a messy hearth. We'll have some hot cider and cookies, and then Mother will ask me that same question she asks me every year. Lester, if you were a newscaster when Jesus was born, how would you report it?
3: Les has picked up his silver sow award, and he is talking to it as he explains his Christmas plans. Jennifer asks Les how he would report the birth of Jesus. Les picks up a staple remover, and he uses it as a mic. Hi. I'm
2: standing here uh, outside of a, a barn-like structure. Inside, all the little farm animals are fast asleep. Except, of course, for the ever-alert hogs. <laughs> Should I like to hear
4: some more? Oh, no less. That's such a cute ending.
1: Bailey asks Jennifer if she's flying home for Christmas. So that would be to Rock Throw, West Virginia. Jennifer tells her she is not and explains that her mom went to her brother's place. It's very small and there'll be lots of people. Andy chimes in. It doesn't seem right that they're all splitting up for Christmas.
4: Well, that's what the office Christmas party is for. <laughs> It'll be fun. We can open our gifts. <laughs>
1: This comment causes Herb to turn in his chair. Gifts?
4: Uh Uh-huh.
0: No, 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 no. We decided. We agreed. No
1: gifts this year. Nobody said anything about gifts. Jennifer tells him that they decided that, not her.
4: Besides, you don't have to get anything. I just wanted to get a little something for each of you.
3: Jennifer leaves the bullpen, and Herb speaks his mind.
0: Is that a little rotten or what? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, Al. If Miss Blondie thinks I'm going to rush right out and get her a Christmas present just because she got me one, ho, 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 got another thing coming.
3: Bailey agrees with Herb. Les and Andy both recall that they said no gifts.
0: That's true. We agreed. Right.
3: tosses a pencil into his pencil cup, point down, and it bounces right back up and out onto his desk.
1: There's no way they planned that. There's no way they rehearsed it. <laughs> I think it happened, and Frank Bonner didn't laugh, didn't react, just gave that little sneer, and they kept it in there. I really don't think that was planned it, it at all. It was
3: funny. Th- I mean, he, he tosses oh, it, it in there with a little bit of funny. anger.
1: Yeah, and he reacts to it in character. It was great. So all of them are sitting for a while, looking around. Then they suddenly jump up because they realize they'd better be buying some gifts before the office Christmas party gets underway. No, no, no,
0: no, no. We decided. We agreed. No gifts this year.
3: We go out to the lobby and Jennifer's at her desk on the phone talking to her mother. She's speaking with a very strong southern accent as she talks to her mother down in Rockthrow, West Virginia. But you just all have Merry Christmas now, you hear? It is amazing how well a brunette from Minnesota is able to play a blonde... From West Virginia. Bye now. As she hangs up the phone, Carlson comes out of his office. He's dancing and singing. Here comes Santa Claus. He says hi to Jennifer, and she answers back in a heavy accent. Hey, how are you? Carlson is thrown by the accent. Jennifer catches herself and quickly reverts to her Cincinnati accent. I mean, uh, hello, Mr. Carlson.
1: Art was singing a little Here Comes Santa Claus. That's a Christmas song originally written, published, and performed by Gene Autry in 1947. The music was composed by Oakley Haldeman. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus
2: Lane. Fixin' and Blixon and all his reindeers pullin' on the reins. Bells are ringin', children singin' all is merry and bright. So hang your stockings and say your prayers, cause Santa Claus comes tonight.
3: It became a number five country and number nine pop hit.
1: Autry says he got the idea for the song after he rode his horse in the 1946 Santa Claus Lane Parade, which is now the Hollywood Christmas Parade in Los Angeles. During the parade, crowds of spectators were chanting, Here Comes Santa Claus.
3: Autry's lyrics combined two veins of the Christmas tradition, the mythology of Santa Claus and the Christian origin of the holiday. It mentions the nativity promise of peace on earth to those who follow the light.
1: There are only a few really good Christmas songs, and everybody does a version. This one is no different. Others who've recorded the song include... Doris Day and Bing Crosby with the Andrews sisters, both in 1949,
3: Elvis Presley, 1957,
1: Alvin and the Chipmunks in 1961,
3: Willie Nelson in 1979,
1: Glenn Campbell, Rue Paul, and The Wiggles, each separately, <laughs> not not as a group, but each separately in 1997.
3: Billy Idol in 2006.
1: Bob Dylan got in on it in 2009.
3: Mariah Carey in 2010.
1: Chicago in 2011.
3: The Glee cast in
1: 2013. Anna Kendrick in 2015.
3: And Pentatonix in 2018.
1: So you've got some choices for your uh, Here Comes Santa Claus. Carlson tells Jennifer he thinks it's time for the Christmas party, and Jennifer agrees. Who's Santa this year? Venus. Hart <laughs> <laughs> scratches his chin, squints his eyes. He's processing this bit of information. Venus.
3: Is that a problem?
1: No, I'm just trying to get a mental picture that much.
3: And inter Venus. Venus comes in from the hallway. Wearing a red jumpsuit with little white balls decorating the collar, wrists, and waist, jingle bells around his wrists, a white knee-length sleeveless vest that looks like sheep's wool, a red cap, and knee-high black boots with gold bracelets around each ankle, and some white in his beard, mustache, and eyebrows. He is ready to party.
1: I always love non traditional takes on Santa, and this one is really cool. That is a hip Santa. <laughs> We head over to the bullpen where Bailey is rushing everyone to finish up the punch and the food. Comes up with
4: that punch. We're almost done. Now, wait, wait a minute, Bailey. What's the rush? There's no rush. Oh, somebody come over here and eat these cookies. Let's go. Let's go.
1: <laughs> we notice there's no music playing. It's a Christmas party at a radio station, and there is no music playing. I'm kind of wondering if they shot this one dry, intending to put a song in later and never got around to it.
3: We see Herb's suit coat, but we don't feel it to be an alert. Just
1: wasn't wild enough.
3: Yeah, didn't do anything for us. Herb walks over and gives a present to Mr. Carlson. It looks like leftover Chinese food. (laughs) Carlson excitedly opens the gift.
0: Worms? (laughs) Not just any worms, red wigglers. They're our biggest
3: clients. Besides, you fish. <laughs>
1: They're red wigglers.
3: <laughs> That's the Cadillac of worms.
1: Red wigglers, the Cadillac of
2: worms. The Cadillac
1: of worms. Les <laughs> is thrilled when he opens his present from Bailey. It is a pink five gallon pig jar with a cork in the end for the nose. Les hugs it as he thanks Bailey. Bailey then thanks Les for his gift to her, a book titled Winning Through Intimidation.
3: You're welcome. Certainly helped me. Winning Through Intimidation is a book by American author, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker Robert J. Ringer.
1: It's his first book. It was published in 1973. He took it around to 23 different publishers, got 23 rejections, and decided to publish it himself.
3: It became a number one bestseller. For 36 weeks
1: Ringer has written several other books And many of those have also been Number one bestsellers
3: Les thanks Herb for the thumbtacks And Herb thanks Les for the rosary Both of us were Not sure what that meant Didn't get that at all Did
1: not get it The thumbtacks funny though And especially with the Well you are my best friend line
3: (laughs) Carlson comes over to Herb's desk
1: These worms are dead
3: He plops the container of dead worms In front of Herb
1: Okay kidding <laughs>
3: Curb tosses the dead worms into the (laughs) wastebasket. No
1: use crying over dead worms. (laughs) Jennifer asks everyone if they'd like to sing a Christmas carol. Johnny hops up and starts collecting his things. He's thinking this is a chance to make a quick escape. Raising his glass of punch, Andy suggests... Good King Wenceslaus. And he begins singing loudly. Carlson interrupts telling Johnny to hold it. We kind of feel a speech coming on here.
3: Good King Wenceslaus was written in 1853 by an English Hymn writer named John Mason Neal. He wrote it in collaboration with his music editor, Thomas Helmore.
1: It's not a go to as a Christmas carol. It tells the story of a Bohemian king going on a journey. He braves harsh winter weather to give alms to a poor peasant on the Feast of Stephen. The Feast of Stephen is on December 26th, which is traditionally considered the second day of Christmas.
3: During the journey, Stephen's page is about to give up the struggle against the cold weather, but continues by following the king's footprints through the deep snow. The
1: legend is based on the life of the historical St. Wenceslaus I, who was the Duke of Bohemia, from 921 until his assassination in 935 A.D.
3: Now, I think everybody knows the tune, but to suggest it as a carol for everybody to sing...
1: That you're just going to know the words off the top of your head. Yeah, I can get the first line and that's it.
3: I don't think it would be that popular of a song to sing as a group. Carlson tells them that he knows they like to joke around and have fun, but he would like to tell them all exactly what he thinks about them.
1: Please
0: don't do that again this year. (laughs)
1: Herb, mean by
3: that? <laughs> I
1: think Art said something. I wonder
3: what he said last year. <laughs> <Herb> last year. <laughs> Standing behind Herb, Carlson begins his speech. Herb is mouthing the speech word for word as Carlson talks. Johnny, grabbing his jacket, says he needs to leave before he turns into pudding. Carlson continues his oration. This
2: time of year, with chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost. Nipping at your nose, (laughs) although it's been
0: said many times. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you.
1: We had to go to the calendar to figure out when they were having this party. Christmas in 1979 was on a Tuesday, which is always great when you've got a holiday like that on a Tuesday or Thursday, because it means a long weekend one way or the other. We think this party is happening the Friday before, so Art is letting everyone go so they can have a long weekend.
3: Now he tells everyone to be back on Wednesday, which would be the 26th. In the real world of media, most full-timers take off the entire week between Christmas and New Year's. If you were a part-timer at a station in the 80s, You could make big money filling in that week.
1: So Art is quoting the Christmas song. You might know it by its opening line, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. It was written in 1945 by Robert Wells and Mel Torme.
3: According to Torme, the song was written in July during a blistering hot summer. He
1: said they thought if they could immerse themselves in something winter-like, it would cool them off. Forty minutes later... The song was written.
3: In 1962, Nat King Cole's version peaked at number 65 on the U.S. Hot 100.
1: Chestnuts roasting
0: on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose.
1: The Christmas song has been covered by numerous artists from a wide variety of genres, Billy Joel,
3: Frank Sinatra,
1: Bing Crosby,
3: Ella Fitzgerald,
1: Celine Dion,
3: The Jackson Five,
1: Lauren Daigle,
3: Michael Buble, just to name a
1: few. So Art finishes his speech. He gets some applause from the staff and the audience. Les reminds everyone that they were about to sing a carol and Andy gives an enthusiastic yeah and starts back in with his good King Wenceslaus thing. (laughs)
3: Why is he so determined to sing this song? I I don't know. It baffles me.
1: I was wondering if maybe it's cheap rights, it might be public domain. It was just a weird choice.
3: Herb stands up and tells Les that they need to leave, and come on if he wants a ride home. All of them begin gathering their things and wishing one another a Merry Christmas as they prepare to leave. Jennifer suddenly remembers something. Wait a minute, we haven't had our Christmas toast. Herb says he'll handle this. You can see him thinking things over in his head as he holds up his cup. Okay, um... This yes,
0: one. All right. Um, to
3: Christmas. No. <laughs> he drinks from his cup, sets it down, and he and Les begin to leave. <laughs> his
1: his preparation for that toast took more time than the toast. So Jennifer's not happy. She doesn't like it that everybody seems to want to get out of there.
4: Is that it? A ten minute Christmas party? Well, that's just fine. That's perfect. I'm sorry you've all been so inconvenienced. Enjoy yourselves. Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho.
1: She kind of storms out of the bullpen. Jeez. She sure knows how to ruin a good party. (laughs) They all begin...
3: (laughs) <laughs> ruined a good party
1: <laughs> they all begin talking wondering what's wrong with jennifer
3: well bailey said that jennifer told her she wasn't going home for christmas maybe this party is all she had planned carlson adds that jennifer told him she didn't have a tree venus tells them they're all crazy that's one lady that's
0: never going to be alone unless she wants to be
1: Yeah, they all seem to think venus is probably right once again they tell each other merry christmas art reminds them back on Wednesday, and they all head out the door. Venus is the last one in the bullpen. He begins singing White Christmas, but he can't seem to finish. He gets hung up on the word white. He switches over (laughs) to Jingle Bells.
3: White Christmas is an Irving Berlin song reminiscing about an old-fashioned Christmas setting. The song was written by Berlin for the musical film Holiday Inn, which was released in 1942. The
1: composition won the Academy Award for Best Original Song at the 15th. Academy Awards.
3: White Christmas, as sung by Bing Crosby, is the world's best-selling single and probably will hold that title forever. It has sold in excess of 50 million physical copies worldwide. In
1: 1942, Crosby's recording spent 11 weeks at number one on the Billboard charts. I'm
2: dreaming of a Just like the ones I used to know.
3: Re-releases during the holiday seasons of 1945 and 1946 also went to number one, making it the only single to have three separate runs at the top of the U.S. charts.
1: Billboard magazine created a Christmas chart for seasonal releases because of the perennial popularity of White Christmas.
3: Well, Venus started singing Jingle Bells when he left the bullpen. Jingle Bells is one of the best-known and commonly sung American songs in the world. It was written by James Lord Pierpont in 1857 and published under the title The One Horse Open Sleigh. Although
1: it has no specific connection to Christmas, it did become associated with Christmas music in the 1860s. In a Christmas-themed prank by Gemini 6 astronauts Tom Stafford and Wally Schirra on December 16, 1965, they played the song Back to Earth.
3: A trivial pursuit question claims that the horse's name in the song is Bobtail. We found the original lyrics and also referenced mentalfloss.com. Both sources say... Bells on bobtail ring refers to the condition of the horse's tail, not its name. We move
1: now to the studio. It is later that day of the party. Venus is in the studio playing... A very funky Christmas tune, Merry Christmas Baby by Chuck Berry.
3: Venus mentions that there is a belief that the star seen by the wise men was actually Venus. Now,
1: who am I to dispute such a good story like that? It is possible because Venus, on its own, is the second brightest object in the night sky after the moon. The theory that Venus was the Bethlehem star falls apart when you consider that Venus would have long been a familiar sight to biblical-era astronomers. It wouldn't have been something new.
3: Modern-day astronomers have a scientific explanation for the Bethlehem star that would have made Venus appear even more prominent in the night sky. They believe that in 3 BC, Jupiter and Venus met in what's called a Great Conjunction, which would create a seemingly new and immensely bright star for most of that year.
1: That song Venus is playing, Merry Christmas Baby, is an R&B Christmas standard. It's credited originally to Lou Baxter and Johnny Moore.
3: It was originally recorded in 1947 by Johnny Moore's Three Blazers, featuring the singer and pianist Charles Brown.
1: Chuck Berry's version, the one uh, Venus is playing, reached number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1958.
0: Merry Christmas, baby You really did treat me nice Merry Christmas, baby You really did treat me nice
3: it has been covered by many artists, including Ike and Tina Turner,
1: Otis Redding,
3: B.B. King,
1: Elvis Presley,
3: Bruce Springsteen,
1: Christina Aguilera,
3: and Melissa Etheridge.
1: Jennifer is still hanging around this station. She comes into the studio saying hi to Venus.
3: Venus doesn't seem to know it's her. Hi.
1: Hey, baby. Jennifer! Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Venus was expecting somebody else. It's not the first time that Venus has entertained female visitors during his shift. You might remember Mrs. Olsen from Bailey's show. (laughs) So Jennifer comes in and has a seat on the desk. She says she likes that song Venus is playing. She offers a cup of... Mr. Carlson's brew to Venus, so something art has fermented.
3: Jennifer asks Venus if he thinks she ruined the Christmas party this afternoon. No. Jennifer says that she guesses she just expects everyone to feel about Christmas the way she does. Whatever happened to that joy we used to have when we were kids? She and Venus begin to reminisce about their childhood Christmases. Venus tells her about his grandmother dressing up as Santa every year. Your grandmother?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We see my grandfather did it, and after he died, she kind of kept up the tradition.
1: So Venus asked Jennifer about her Christmas plans. Jennifer's kind of vague. She tells him she has very special plans. Venus kind of presses it a little bit and asks her, what kind of plans? You know plans. So still kind of vague. Venus tells her to have a good time. She tells him Merry Christmas and leaves the studio.
3: As soon as Jennifer walks past the window and on down the hallway, Venus turns the volume of the music down and picks up the phone. Hello,
0: John. Look, you know, I think Bailey's right. I think Jennifer's going to be all alone this Christmas. Really. I mean, and, and she's so damn good looking. We just take it for natural that she's going to have a good time when she's probably just going to be sitting around all by herself. I think you and I ought to get together. We're to do something. And, and just right now, what do you think? Huh? Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry, (laughs) ma'am.
1: Back in the days when you could actually dial a wrong number. (laughs) Yes. We now move to Jennifer's apartment and we got the doorbell.
4: It's open. Come on in and put it with the others. The man
1: walks in with a small TV. He comments that her place looks like a department store with all the gifts stacking up. She tells him, "'Tis the season for some of us." Jennifer wishes him a Merry Christmas and hands him a wrapped gift. We're thinking maybe a box of candy. She's got a stack of them there ready for the delivery men. The man thanks her and leaves.
3: Delivery man number one is played by Don Diamond. Don is a TV mainstay. He was born in 1921 in Brooklyn, New York.
1: Don began acting on radio in the early 1940s. His family was from Russia. But Don was often cast as either Mexican or Spanish.
3: Don was so good at picking up accents, he got the role as Kit Carson's Mexican sidekick in the TV series The Adventures of Kit Carson in 1951. No one ever knew he wasn't Mexican or Spanish.
1: Don appeared on 105 episodes of Kit Carson, And he was on 52 episodes of Zorro.
3: He has a total of 139 acting credits, mostly on TV, from 1949 to 1987.
1: Don died in 2011 of heart failure in Los Angeles. He was 80 years old.
3: The doorbell rings again and Venus and Johnny come in, dragging a big Christmas tree with them. Jennifer is surprised and asks them what they are doing here.
0: We were in the neighborhood. In the spirit of Christmas, we killed a tree for you.
1: you. (laughs) Johnny explains that Venus bought the tree, and he hands Jennifer a little music box that he bought for her.
4: Well, aren't you two just the sweetest things?
1: Venus puts his arm around China and China buries his face and Venus's shoulder. They're both doing an aw shucks. i being embarrassed.
3: <laughs> and again, the doorbell rings. Andy is at the door with a tree, but it's not as big or full as the one Johnny and Venus brought. You know, I was on
1: my way to Santa Fe and I said, Doug Gunn, I'm going to stop over there and see if, if Jennifer needs whatever.
3: Andy happens to notice Johnny and Venus in the apartment. They tell him that they brought Jennifer a tree. And the three begin to argue about whose tree is better. Johnny and
1: Venus won that one. I think so. They continue to argue, and here comes another delivery guy with a big box on a dolly. The delivery guy tells Jennifer he's guessing it's either a trash masher or another TV. This is a repeat visit for this
3: guy. Delivery man number two is played by Steve Marshall. The practice of grabbing extras out of the writer's room continues. Our second delivery man is none other than story editor Steve Marshall. Steve, you might remember, is a former L.A. program director and now a second-season writer on WKRP in Cincinnati.
1: Here's a random fun fact about Steve. Steve Marshall is credited with creating radio's first-ever soft rock format while he was program director at KNX in Los Angeles.
3: Johnny, Venus, and Travis Sit on the couch. (laughs) The three wise men. Would you like some eggnog? Those
1: are the three wise men.
3: (laughs) We're in trouble.
1: We're in trouble. (laughs) The doorbell rings and Jennifer tells whoever it is, come on in. An older gentleman appears speaking French aggressively. He kisses Jennifer's hand and just keeps talking.
0: (laughs) Jennifer
1: is gushing the whole time he's talking. Andy, Venus, and Johnny are watching kind of with their mouths hanging open as this gentleman continues in in French the man hands Jennifer a small beautifully wrapped box looks like it might be jewelry then he notices the three guys on the couch and starts talking to them in French he tells Jennifer goodbye waves to Johnny Travis and Venus and heads out the door right as Bailey and Carlson are coming in with their tree a very very small tree
3: the french gentleman Henri, who bursts in, is played by George Gaines. George was born in 1917 to Dutch and Russian Finnish parents in the Grand Duchy of Finland of the Russian Empire. George served in the Royal Netherlands Navy during World War II.
1: Gaines is a singer, actor, and voice artist who spoke Dutch, French, English, Russian, And Italian fluently. He
3: immigrated to the United States in 1946 and became a citizen in 1948.
1: Gaines started a career on Broadway in 1946. He moved to film and television by the 1960s.
3: Gaines was a regular on the TV daytime dramas Search for Tomorrow and General Hospital.
1: You might remember him in a recurring role on the comedy series Punky Brewster.
3: Film appearances include The Way We Were.
1: Nickelodeon. And Tootsie. In 1984, Gaines played Commandant Lassard in the first Police Academy movie, which was directed by Hugh Wilson. He would go on to appear in all seven Police Academy movies and the Police Academy TV series.
3: Gaines had big ties to WKRP. He directed the last episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. Also,
1: he was married to actress and dancer Alan Ann McCleary, who we met in Patter of Little Feet. Yes, she played Carmen, Art's wife. Gaines and McCleary were married for 63 years from 1953 until his death in 2016 at the age of 98.
3: And they said it wouldn't last.
1: Yeah, boy.
3: So Carlson and Bailey come in with a tiny tree, and they see the others. Carlson asks what they're doing there. Travis tells him delivering trees and to put their tree over with the rest. I thought you didn't have a tree. Are you kidding? It's your basic black forest. <laughs>
1: I looked up the Black Forest. The Black Forest is a mountain range in southwest Germany. That interests you at all?
3: <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> you always hear, you know, Black Forest ham. Yeah. I like Black well, Forest ham.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know what that has to do with the Black Forest in Germany, but there you go. So Christmas trees and evergreens predate. Christmas, Romans brought evergreen boughs into their homes during the Festival of Saturnalia. The Saturnalia Festival took place the last week of December during the winter solstice.
3: The Christian tradition of the Christmas tree originated in Germany in the 16th century where German Protestant Christians brought trees into their homes.
1: The earliest known firmly dated representation of a German Christmas tree is on a keystone sculpture from a private home in Turkheim Alsace. At the time, it was a part of Germany. Today, it's a part of France. The date on this keystone is 1576.
3: The tree was traditionally decorated with roses made of colored paper, apples, wafers, tinsel, and sweetmeats.
1: It was those wild and crazy Moravian Christians who began to (laughs) illuminate Christmas trees with candles. They were replaced by less flammable Christmas lights after the discovery of electricity.
3: Candles just does not seem like a good idea. like a bad, bad choice. Carlson and Bailey put their tree with the others. Now, both of them are carrying this tiny tree when they enter, and they carry it together over to put it with the others. It's barely even big enough for one person to carry, let alone two.
1: It looks like they're having a tug-of-war with the tree, almost.
3: (laughs) Travis gets Jennifer's attention.
1: Hey, Jennifer. You never told us you spoke
0: French.
3: I don't. (laughs) Excuse
1: me. And the doorbell rings again. They must be getting a package deal on this doorbell ring because they have hit it several times in this scene. Yeah, when Jennifer opens the door, Herb's leaning against the door frame. (laughs) Merry Christmas,
0: baby. Merry Christmas,
1: Herb! He's so cool. He thinks he's alone, but the whole room hollers
3: back at him. That's when Herb gets
1: perturbed. He comes on in. I thought she'd be alone. That's why I dropped by. <laughs> Where's your tree, Herb?
3: And it's not a secret. <laughs> That's why he dropped by. He thought she was going to be alone. Herb is confused and asks... What?
0: Take a look, Herb. You can't get any without a tree.
3: Herb looks around and he's got this worried look on his face. Well, I didn't bring one. Andy puts his drink on the table, stands up, putting his hands on his hips. He looks at Herb. Well, Herb, I guess
0: you're going to have to leave. <laughs> I did bring some mistletoe. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry, that's not enough. Herb holds up the mistletoe and smiles.
1: In the back of Herb's mind right now, he's thinking, where can I get a tree? Where can I get a tree? He's going to run out and buy one. So Herb holds up mistletoe. Mistletoe is commonly used as a Christmas decoration,
3: but why? Mistletoe has long been a symbol of male virility. It is also supposed to provide protection from witches and demons.
1: Ah, witch and demon protection. Okay, that explains it. The tradition of kissing under the mistletoe has ancient... Roots, but it wasn't revived until the 18th century. The tradition spread throughout the English-speaking world, but it is largely unknown in the rest of Europe. The
3: mistletoe was hung up in houses at Christmas. It gave young men the privilege of kissing the girls under it.
1: Each time they kissed a girl, they were supposed to pluck a berry from the sprig of mistletoe. When the berries were all gone, that's when the smooching stopped.
3: The serving class of Victorian England are credited with keeping the tradition alive to the modern day.
0: You don't have a tree, you're going to have to go. So we all brought a tree.
1: Herb is really starting to look a little worried about this. He stands there holding his mistletoe, looking at everyone, and nobody says anything. I'll go get one. I'll be right back. He's off to get a tree late on a Friday night. Andy tells him, wait a minute. He looks around at everyone, gets permission. Would it be okay for Herb to stay even though he didn't bring a tree? They all discuss it for a bit.
2: Oh, jeez.
0: Oh, no. oh, what the hell? It's Christmas.
2: Oh, yeah. it's what Christmas. the hell? Yeah. It's Christmas.
1: <laughs> so they motion to a chair for Herb to sit down. Herb is quite grateful he doesn't have to go out and find a tree somewhere late on a Friday <laughs> night.
3: The door opens and Les peeks his head in. Jennifer tells him to come on in.
2: Herb told me to wait downstairs in the car because he had to come up here and give you your Christmas goose. <laughs> Where's the
3: goose, Herb? I don't see any goose.
0: Shut up, Les. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Shut up, Les. Johnny is sitting next to the bowl of eggnog, and we see that he begins drinking eggnog from the ladle during the scene.
1: (laughs) I think that eggnog is juiced. I think there's some rum in there because Johnny is enjoying it a lot. I'm
3: surprised he hasn't stuck his head in the bowl.
1: So Jennifer looks him all over and tells him how touched she is that everyone came by Art tells her they wanted her to have as wonderful a Christmas as they're going to have. Thank
4: you. Thank you, all of you. I mean, you're all so very sweet. And, and I am so touched. Which just makes it all the more difficult to tell you that I have to go. What?
3: she are go.
4: They're all confused. Huh?
3: But- go where?
4: Bethlehem. The Admiral is flying me to Bethlehem for Christmas in his jet.
3: Well, Herb wants her to clarify it's Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, right? Jennifer tells him no, it's the Bethlehem. Johnny, who's been drinking eggnog from the ladle, looks at Venus. Now, that is a
0: down home Christmas. (laughs) (laughs)
3: That
1: is way down home. Uh, you've probably heard the name Bethlehem before. It's a city in the <laughs> central west bank of Palestine. It is only about six miles south of Jerusalem. I was surprised about that. I felt like it was much further away from Jerusalem. The
3: population is about 25,000 and home to the Church of the Nativity, the biblical site of Jesus' birth.
1: Bethlehem as a city dates back to about four. 14- 1800 BCE.
3: Jennifer explains that she didn't want to go at first, but then she finally agreed. As long as we can take about a dozen kids from St. Ambrose with us. Les is close to tears. You're flying orphans to Bethlehem for Christmas?
4: Uh-huh.
1: Oh, my goodness. She's like a Christmas special. <laughs>
3: A lifetime movie
1: <laughs> So Jennifer tells him she didn't want to say what it was because it sounded so
3: perfect yeah. Yeah, it does Thank you
1: herb pipes up I mean we don't need to be over here feeling sorry for her
0: huh Here's right, right? thanks right for that. We ought to be over at my place. I'm the one with problems.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's fine. She doesn't need them all coming over visiting. She's headed off to Bethlehem. Herb's (laughs) the one that's got problems.
3: Jennifer tells them that the Admiral's limo is probably downstairs, and she offers anyone a ride... ...to wherever they need to go. Andy needs to go to the airport, but his bags are at his apartment. Well, we'll just stop by and pick him up. Bailey tells Jennifer that she still doesn't have a flight. Well, I'll just have the Admiral drop you off in Chicago. Eh, we'll just drop you off, you know, no big deal. The
1: moral of this story is, with a jet and a car, you can solve pretty much any problem.
3: Jennifer asks for help with her bags... So all of the guys start gathering her suitcases.
1: Bailey asks what they should do with all of the trees that have suddenly accumulated there in the apartment. I,
2: I, I, I want them! Oh, I, I'll take them off. <laughs> Mother's not going to get me this year.
1: <laughs> so Art grabs up a couple. He asks Les to help him with the trees. They all head out the door with baggage and trees. And then Johnny decides he <laughs> might need more of that eggnog. They all begin singing "Good King Wenceslas," which has to be making Andy happy.
0: Hey,
3: with johnny dragging yes, the bowl, with of, with his bowl of, eggnog of eggnog sloshing behind him jennifer picks up her pure white fur mink and she's putting it on she sees herb is still sitting in the chair in her living room well he explains to jennifer that they thought she was going to be alone and that's why they all dropped by i know her <laughs> That's why this is already the most special Christmas I've ever had. She asks Herb where the mistletoe is. He brings it out from behind his back to show her he still has it. Put it over your head.
1: (laughs) I could wear that fur for seven seconds before it would get dirty. (laughs) Herb looks at her, swallows hard, and suddenly begins having trouble breathing. He's about to hyperventilate. He lifts the mistletoe over his head, and I... Really thought he was going to faint. Jennifer wraps her arms around his neck, and she really clutches him. Gives him a lingering kiss on the lips. She backs away, looks at him, smiles, and walks out the door. Not a big deal for Jennifer. Life-changing for Herb. Herb (laughs) is frozen in place. Finally, he lets out his breath, and he brings the mistletoe down slowly.
0: (sighs) Every year... Christmas just keeps getting
1: better and better. (laughs) (laughs) He sets the mistletoe on the table right next to the music box that Johnny gave Jennifer. He opens the music box and we hear the opening strains of the little drummer boy that Johnny was complaining about in the very first scene of the episode. Herb turns out the lights and leaves, closing the door behind him. As the music box continues to play.
3: The Little Drummer Boy, originally known as Carol of the Drum, is a popular Christmas song written by the American classical music composer and teacher Catherine Kinnicott Davis in 1941.
1: It sat around for 10 years before it was recorded in 1951. By the Trap family singers, and yes, that's the same family you learned about in the musical The Sound of Music.
3: In the lyrics, the singer relates how, as a poor young boy, he was summoned by the Magi to the nativity of Jesus. Without a gift for the infant, the little drummer boy played his drum, with approval from Jesus' mother, Mary, and he recalled, I played my best for him. And he smiled at me.
1: The song, like any other good Christmas song, has been recorded by everybody. Some of the most notable, Bing Crosby.
3: Johnny Cash.
1: Johnny Mathis. Andy Williams. Joan Baez.
3: RuPaul.
1: RuPaul. Yeah. Pentatonix.
3: (laughs) And Justin Bieber.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of our favorite recordings of this song was actually a duet that came out in 1977. It featured Bing Crosby with David Bowie. Come, they told
2: me pa bum pa A newborn king to see pa bum pa Our finest gifts we bring pa bum pa bum pum pa rum pa pum pa pa can it be years from, years from now? See, perhaps we'll see our sinus gateway.
3: Bing Crosby died from a heart attack a month after this recording.
1: Although it was hugely popular and came out every year, it was not released as a single until 1982.
3: It became one of the best-selling singles of David Bowie's career.
1: And that is going to do it for Jennifer's Home for Christmas A bit of a fluffy holiday card to everyone. Next week, though, we get back into the radio business. What's up for next week, Donna?
3: Next week, we'll be talking about Sparky. Andy tells Les that Arthur hired someone else to do the sports reporting on the radio, the former manager of the Reds baseball team, Sparky Anderson, who is a hero to Arthur. When Sparky is a disaster on the radio... Arthur is the one that has to fire him.
1: That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP Cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes and find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPcast.
3: Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com.
1: And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. WKRP Cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Most for God fellow babies. <laughs> Booger!